This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Well, I'm going to make one listener extremely happy tonight. A hi to Bill Manley, who just loves Jack Webb playing Sergeant Joe Friday in the popular police drama Dragnet. You know, Dragnet is perhaps the most famous and influential police procedural drama in media history. The series gave audience members a feel for the boredom and drudgery, as well as the danger and heroism of police work. Actor and producer Jack Webb's aim in Drag Network for realism and unpretentious acting. Well, he achieved both goals. And Dragnet remains a key influence on subsequent police dramas in many areas of media. The show's cultural impact is such that after many decades, elements of Dragnet are familiar to those who have never even seen or heard the program. The ominous four-note introduction to the brass and timpani theme music... It's entitled Danger Ahead, by the way, was composed by Walter Sherman. It's instantly recognizable. Here's tonight's episode, The Big Rain. Ladies and gentlemen, the story you are about to hear is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. Dragnet is brought to you by Chesterfield, made by Liggett and Myers, first major tobacco company to give you a complete line of quality cigarettes. You're a detective sergeant. You're assigned a homicide detail. You get a call that a woman has been badly beaten. The circumstances indicate foul play. Your job? Check it out. The documented drama of an actual crime. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department, you will travel step by step on the side of the law through an actual case transcribed from official police files. From beginning to end, from crime to punishment, Dragnet is the story of your police force in action. It was Tuesday, November 17th. It was raining in Los Angeles. We were working the night watch out of homicide detail. My partner's Frank Smith. The boss is Captain Lorman. My name's Friday. We were on our way back from the main jail, and it was 11.27 p.m. when we got to room 42. Homicide. We gotta get that car radio fixed, Joe. It's getting worse all the time. Yeah, well, we can take it over in the morning. thing almost knocked me right out of the seat when I called in the night. As soon as you press the button, bang, you get a shot. Yeah, when I was out with Lopey yesterday, he picked up the mic. I thought he was gonna climb right out of the window. Yeah, well, that's pretty funny, as long as you don't have to use the thing. There must be a short someplace, huh? Got to get it fixed. You know, I must have used a dollar's worth of dimes calling in today. If this keeps up, I'm going to have to give up lunches. Well, that wouldn't hurt you either. 
That's not kind, Joe. I've lost seven pounds in the last two weeks. Where? I'm going to see about a transfer. Well, let's finish up this report so we can get out of here. What do you say? Okay, I'm with you. Hot shot. I get it. There's a robbery call bar out in Olympic. Oh, thought for a minute we were going to have to go out. All I want to do is get home and get some dry socks on. My feet are killing me. Yeah, well, I got an idea. If you'll stop talking and pick up a pencil, we can quit on time for a change. Another hot shot. I'll get it. Get your hat. Beating out in Hollywood. Yeah? Woman found her laying in the gutter. She's still alive? Was when they got the call. We better step on it, though. Uh They don't know how long she's going to last. When we got to the address we'd been given by the complaint board, two radio cars from Hollywood Division were already there. An ambulance had arrived, and the crew was doing what they could for the victim. She was still alive, but the attendant said that she appeared to have a skull fracture in addition to possible internal injuries. From one of the officers who answered the call, we found that the victim had been sprawled across the sidewalk, her head in the gutter. Due to the heavy rain, a stream of water was running down and into a storm drain. The fact that the drain was above the victim's head appeared to be the only thing that saved her from drowning. The crime lab had been called, and the men from Hollywood Division were doing what they could to keep the crowd back in order to preserve any physical evidence that might have been left. The victim appeared to be a woman in her early 40s. The clothes she wore looked expensive, but they were badly torn. Her face was cut, and the men in the ambulance crew removed her immediately to Hollywood Emergency Hospital for treatment. An officer was assigned to her in the event she regained consciousness. When she was found, her left shoe was missing, and there was no sign of any purse or wallet. None of the people who'd gathered in the crowd could give us an identification of her. The homes in the vicinity were large, and the area was sparsely populated. The nearest house to the place where the victim was found was at least 300 feet down the street. We talked to the people in the crowd and found that the man who'd made the original call was still supposed to be there. We checked with the officers in the radio unit, but they said they hadn't seen him. From them, however, we found that the call had been from the home of a Mr. and Mrs. Roger Heflin. We contacted them, and they came back to the scene and pointed out the man. Frank and I took him over to our car for questioning. All right, Johnson, you want to tell us what happened? I don't know. You called the police, didn't you? Yeah, I called them. You found her? Yes, sir. She was lying in the street like that. I got scared, and I called the police. I thought maybe she was dead. What were you doing up here this time of night? Just walking around. You live up here, do you? No. Where do you live? Got a room down a fountain. Let me see your identification, will you, please? Oh, yeah. Here's my wallet. Any money in it? No. All right, let me have it. Yeah, here you are. This your true name? Cecil August Johnson? Yeah. Who's Mary Johnson? Hmm? I say, who's Mary Johnson? Who's she? My sister. Is her address here on the card? Yeah. Hey, you aren't going to call her, are you? You aren't going to call her. Why? Well, she'd be pretty sore about it if you did. She don't like me for me to get mixed up with cops. She don't like it at all. You ever been in an institution? Hmm? State institution. You ever been in one? Yeah. I was in Camarillo once. How long ago did you get out? Oh, long time ago. Three days. Long time ago. I haven't been there for a long time. What were you there for? Molesting people. Who? I was in Camarillo. Why'd they send you there, fella? To get well. From what? Just well. Yeah, we know. What'd they want you to get well from? I was never in Camarillo. You haven't been drinking tonight, have you? Hmm? I said you've been drinking. Yeah, a little bit. Where? Bar down Highway Boulevard. When they sent you to the hospital, what was the reason? I've never been to the hospital. You told us that you'd been in Camarillo. Well, that was to get well. Well, look, fellow, we asked you before. What for? They thought I was molesting people. Were you? No, I didn't hurt anybody. Did they say you did? Yeah. Who? A lady. They said I hit her. Did you hit her? Huh? I said, did you hit the woman? No, I never hurt anybody. 
You know who the woman is that you found? You aren't going to call my sister, are you? Do you know who the woman is? What woman? Now, look, fella, pay attention. The one you found tonight. Yeah, I've known her for a long time. What's her name? Grace. Do you know her last name? Hmm? Do you know her last name? No. You know, i never really been in camera. I just told you that. That's so? Why? I don't know. Just sometimes I like to do things like that. I, I don't have no reason. I just like to do it. Like, once I told my sister I killed a man, she almost fainted. I just like to do that once in a while. Things get dull. I like to get them started. Where'd you meet Grace? Bar down in Hollywood. I go in there all the time. I met her there. Did you meet her there tonight? Yeah. yeah. She was there. Said she had a fight with her old man. Said they had a real beef. She told me he hit her. Belted her right in the mouth. What do you think of a guy do a thing like that to a woman? Any man do a thing like that, he's no good. No good at all. They said I did it, too. Told my sister I hit a woman. Who said that? Other cops when they arrested me. When was this? When I was at Camarilla to get well. You under a doctor's care now? No. no I got real well at Camarilla. Real well. They let me go. You just got through telling us that you'd never been there. I'm a liar. You can't believe anything I say. I'm a real liar. My sister's all the time saying that about me. She says I'm a liar. That's one of the reasons she used to get sore at me. I'm such a liar. I was never there. You know where this Grace lived? No. I think it was up on Ledgewood Drive. I think that's where it was, on Ledgewood Drive. You know where the house is? Mm-mm. I never saw it. I was going to go up there one day and punch her old man in the nose. You know, because he hit Grace. I was plenty sore about it. He gave her a black eye. I was plenty sore. But I didn't. You know why? You tell us. Because I thought my sister would get mad at me. She always gets mad when I get in fights. And when I lie. She gets real sore. She's got no sense of humor. Yeah. There's a guy at the hospital who had a real sense of humor. He was funny. He had a piece of inner tube and he wore it like a hat. Floppy, you know? He had a real great sense of humor. But my sister, she don't like anybody to laugh. How many times have you been arrested, fella? Maybe a couple. Here in Los Angeles? Yeah. All the time in L.A. Cops here don't like me. They got no sense of humor. None. I never saw such dull cops. All right, Johnson, you wait here. We got a few things to check out, and then we want to take you downtown. You aren't going to arrest me, are you? We'll see. Well, I hope not. My sister, she'd be real sore. Johnson? Hmm? Tell me something. Did you hit her? You mean, did I hit Grace? Is that what you mean? That's what I mean. No. I met her tonight, and she asked me to take a walk with her. To take a walk, that's all. Then all of a sudden, she was lying on the ground. I was pretty drunk. I didn't know what happened. Just all of a sudden, she was there, and I got scared, and I called the cops. But I didn't hit her. I wouldn't do a thing like that to Grace, not me. You believe that, don't you? Well, don't you? You gotta buy it. You got it, because it's the truth. Is that right? Sure. It's the truth. Every word. Well, you said it yourself, didn't you? Hmm? You're an awful liar. 12.52 a.m. Well, one of the officers from a radio unit stood by with Cecil Johnson. We talked with Lieutenant Lee Jones from the crime lab. He told us that what footprints they'd found in the immediate vicinity of the victim had been destroyed by the rain. He told us that his crew was unable to find any useful physical evidence. The area was searched, but we failed to find either the missing left shoe or the woman's purse, if she'd carried one. We put in a call to the Hollywood Receiving Hospital. Dr. Elwin Terrell told us that the victim was suffering from a fracture of the skull and apparently several broken ribs. He told us that the woman was in a deep coma and she couldn't be questioned at that time. We asked him to contact us at the business office in the event that she regained consciousness. We questioned the people in the neighborhood, but they were of no aid. None of them recalled hearing any automobiles on the streets, and none of them could testify as to the people loitering in the area. 1.10 a.m. We took Cecil Johnson and had him detained at the city jail pending further investigation. 
A check of his record showed that he'd been sent to Camarillo twice on charges of molesting and violation of Section 245 PC. He'd been released into the custody of his sister three weeks previously. Before he was placed in a cell, we got the name and address of the bar where he said he'd met the woman he called Grace. 1.40 a.m. Frank and I drove out to the place. It was located on Hollywood Boulevard near Las Palmas Avenue. There was only one other customer in the place when we went in. The bartender was cleaning up for the night. What'll it be? We're looking for Emil. I'm him. What do you want? It's not about that lousy Jackie, is it? What's that? You're cops, aren't you? Isn't this about Jackie? We're police officers, yeah. You gotta understand, I thought he was an actor. You know, I thought he was just hanging around the place to take work calls. That's what he told me. I didn't have no way of knowing different. It's the truth. We don't know anything about Jackie. We'd like to ask you some questions about a man named Cecil Johnson. That crackpot? You know, I thought you were after me because of Jackie. Oh, there it goes again. Excuse me. Yeah. Hello? Here it is. No, he ain't here anymore. What? I don't care how the horse did. Jackie ain't here. Now, don't call me no more. You see, this guy Jackie's a book. All the time he's using my phone and I don't know it. Yesterday, a couple of cops come in and put the arm on him. All day, the phone's been ringing. Yeah. And what they say, he's lucky he got arrested. He must have lost his shirt yesterday. Horse came in that paid 20 to 1. Boy, he really must have had it. I see. Now, what do you know about this Cecil Johnson? That creep. Real creep. Did you see him tonight? Yeah, he was in. About what time? Let's see, it was uh, just before the fight on TV. That'll make it about 6.45. Yeah, about then, about 6.45. He come in alone? Oh, yeah, always does. He don't have no friends. What time did he leave, do you remember? Oh, he stayed around and watched the fight. Got into an argument with a the guy, then he left about, uh, let's see, I guess it must have been about 9.30, quarter of 10. You know a woman named Grace? We understand she's in here quite a bit. Grace, huh? Well, we got a couple of Graces come in here. What's yours look like? About 42, dark hair, wearing a tweed coat. Excuse me a minute, huh? Yeah. Hello? Yeah, it is. No, he's not here. He won't be back, so stop calling. I don't care if it did pay that. Look, but I got no part in the action. Now, forget the number, huh? Jackie's gone. He's in the can. Yeah, he's pinched. Now, lay off, huh? Now, let's see. Dark hair, tweed coat. Oh, yeah, that'll be Grace Dillon. Dillon? Yeah, she's pretty much of a regular. Yeah, I guess so. D-I-L-L-O-N. I guess that's the way to spell it. Well, what's all the questions? Something wrong? What time was she in here tonight? Who says she was? Well, that's what we understand. Oh. Oh, yeah, well, there's nothing wrong around here. No reason not to cooperate. She was here, come in about 8. What time she leave? Well, I guess it was 9.30, 9.45. She leave alone? I gotta think about that. All right. Lots of people in here with the fights, you know. Let me think. Uh, I'm gonna tear that thing right out of the wall. He ain't here. He's been pinched. I don't know when he'll be back, and I don't care. You know, come to think about it, I think she left with that Cecil. Johnson? Yeah. Did either one of them have much to drink, you know? Well, Cecil had a couple of beers. That's all he needs. Don't take much with him. How about the Dillon woman? She was feeling no pain when she got here. Really carrying a load. I finally told her to take a walk, told her I couldn't serve her no more. That's when she left. Her and Cecil were sitting right there next to each other. When I told her I wouldn't pour no more for her, she got hacked and her and Cecil left. You know where she lived? Not right off. I-, I can look it up. We keep a list of people who come in here, send them announcements about things, like when we get a new piano play, things like that. Oh, I see. I can look it up for you. Just take a minute. Fine, thanks. C-A-B-C. Oh, here it is. Darby, Dexter, Dibbs. I wish he'd come in and pick up the tab with can. Oh, let's see. Yeah, here it is. Here it is. 2917 Ledgewood Drive. 2917. Thank you. You can take the card if you want. Don't make any difference to me if she never comes back. The way she carried on tonight. 
People just don't understand. What's that? You can just serve them so much. After that, you're pouring a hundred-proof trouble. You got to shut them off sometime. Uh-huh. She ever come in here with her husband? Dylan? Yeah. A couple of times. Quite a while ago, though. They came in late one night, sat back there in the booth, had a couple of quick belts. He drinks Irish whiskey, likes it neat. Had a big beef. I finally had to go back and ask him to go out. He's a real bum. He's mean. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The kind of guy where to know him is to hate him. You know the kind? Yeah. He ain't here. I don't care how much you lost. He's in the can. What? What? Oh, yeah, honey. Well, I didn't know it was you. Uh-huh. Hey, yeah, I'll be home early as soon as I close up. Right. Yeah, well, I do, too. What? All right, honey. I love you. I do, too, mean it. Look, honey, there's a, there's a couple of men here I got to talk to, huh? Well, yeah, as soon as I close up, yeah. Hey, goodbye, honey. What? Oh, yeah, yeah, all right. There, bye. It's the, it's the wife. We've just been married a couple of weeks. She's kind of, uh, you know. Yeah. Did Dylan ever hit his wife, would you know? Yeah, he did. She came in here one night with a mouse that had no end. Said her old man gave it to her. Say, what's all this about anyway? There's something wrong with Grace? Something happened to her? Well, we don't know yet. Well, let me give you this for free. If there's anything happened to a six to an even, it was her old man. It's a real bum. He's mean. Anything wrong, and it's him that caused it. You better talk to him. You'll find out. All right, sir. Thank you very much. Yes, sir. We will. Thanks. No, not at all. Glad to help out. All right. Good night. Uh, say, you guys going downtown? Yeah, that's right. To the jail? Yeah. Well, if you see Jackie, will you give him a message for me? All right. What's that? Tell him if he gets out, I don't want him back here no more. Okay. Guy ties up my phone. <laughs> a.m. We got a description of the victim's husband and checked the name through R&I. We were unable to come up with any criminal record on him. Frank and I drove out to the address given us by the bartender. It was a large English stucco house five blocks from where Grace Dillon had been found. We rang the bell and waited. An elderly woman answered the door and told us that Herman Dillon was not in. She explained that she was a babysitter and that she'd been called to take care of the couple's three children. She went on to say that Mr. Dillon left the house at approximately 10.15 p.m. and had not yet returned. We called the office and arranged for a stakeout to be set up on the house. While we waited for the officers to arrive, the babysitter told us that the Dillons had constant fights. She said that on several occasions, Mr. Dillon threatened to kill his wife if she didn't spend more time at home taking care of the children. She went on to explain that there'd been an argument that evening, and that after a loud fight, the wife had left the house. After she'd been gone for over an hour, Herman Dillon left to find her. 3.02 a.m., the officers arrived. We asked them to wait for the husband to return and then to notify us immediately. Frank and I drove downtown and checked into the crime lab. We talked with Lieutenant Lee Jones regarding his findings. He told us that he'd gone over the victim's clothing, but he was unable to find any physical evidence to help us in finding her assailant. 3.46 a.m. We checked into the office and put in a call to the hospital. How do you spell that, Doc? Huh? Uh, A-D-E. Yes, sir. Do you have any idea when that might be? I see, sir. Mm-hmm. Well, if you'll let us know. Right. Yeah, the business office here will know how to reach us. Right. Thanks again. Good night, Doc. How is she? Well, the doctor says he's finished his examination. She's got a frontal bone fracture, three broken ribs, cuts, and contusions. She gonna be all right? Yeah, you think so. So she might come out of it any time. Says it looks like she might have been thrown from a car. Well, how did he explain the missing shoe and purse, wouldn't it? Yeah. You have any idea when we can talk to her? No, might not do any good anyway. What do you mean? Well, the doc says this kind of fracture can produce a retrograde amnesia. Huh? She won't remember anything. 
You are listening to Dragnet, the authentic story of your police force in action. a.m. Frank and I signed out of the office and we went home. At 5.13 a.m., I got a call that the husband of the victim, Herman Dillon, had returned home. The officers of call said that they were bringing him down to the city hall. I got in touch with Frank, and by the time we got to the squad room, Dillon was already there. He appeared dazed and acted as if he'd been drinking heavily. We sent out for some black coffee for him. He apparently didn't know what had happened to his wife. What's all this about, anyway? What are you dragging me out of my house like this for? Got a few questions we want to ask you, Dylan. What do you got that's so important you got to go through it at 6 in the morning? Why don't you see your wife last? About 7.30 last night. Why? How do you and your wife get along? We've been married for 10 years. Not much of an answer, mister. You're not married. Been married 10 years and it's an answer. Been married 10 years, it's all the answer you need. Well, maybe you better spell it out for me. After that long, you have a few disagreements. Bound to. You know, being together all that time. You and your wife have a disagreement last night, did you? Yeah, we had a discussion. What about? I don't think that's any of your business. Yeah, well, maybe it is. Now, what'd you argue about? A running around. Wasn't a real argument, just a discussion. Well, we got it. It was more than that. Then you got it wrong. We heard you hit her a couple of times. That's a lie. I might have shoved her a little. She had it coming. Now, all the time running around. We got three kids. Three little kids, and she doesn't care that for them. Always going out, hanging around those cheap bars, boozing it up. I came home the other night. She'd walked out and left the kids all alone, all by themselves. Didn't even get a sitter for them. Where you been tonight? Why? Why you have to know that? You want to tell us? Yeah. After Grace and me had the fight, she walked out. I waited for her to come home. Then when she didn't, I went out to find her. Did you? Hmm? Did you find her? No, I looked all over for her. All the bars along the boulevard, but she wasn't there. Where you been since the bars closed? Walking around. And all this rain? Yeah. I've been trying to figure out what to do, trying to make up my mind. About what? What I should do with Grace. Things can't go on like this. They just can't. You've heard from some of your wife's friends that you made threats in their life. Is that right? Who told you that? We just heard it. Is it true? I suppose so. If I'd have found her tonight, I'd have maybe killed her. I've never been so mad before. You see anybody you knew tonight? What? When you were walking around, did you see anybody you knew? No. Why? When you got no way to prove where you were. Why do I have to do that? Might make things easier on you. Hey, what's this all about, anyway? Why are you asking all these questions about me and Grace? What are you trying to say? Where is Grace, you know? Yeah. Well, where is she? What's happened to her? She's in the hospital. She had an accident. It's pretty bad. What kind of an accident? Looks like she was beaten. And you think I did it? Might have been you. She lied? Yeah. You think I beat her up? Did you? No. I maybe wanted to, knock some sense into her, but I didn't do it. You prove where you were tonight? Why? Can you prove where you were? No, I don't even know myself. Hey, you, you really think I did it? That's what we're trying to find out. You know, I was pretty drunk tonight. I got real loaded. That's a terrible part. Yeah, let me see your hands, will you? Why? Let me see them. All right. Put them up there, both of them. Yeah. Where'd you get those bruises? I don't know. I don't remember. You better try. This is pretty important. I told you I was drunk. There's only one thing that'll put bruises like that on your hands. Yeah. You hit something pretty hard. <laughs> Dillon was detained pending further investigation. We'd called the hospital, but there was no change in Mrs. Dillon's condition. Because of the lack of physical evidence, her testimony was essential in apprehending the person who'd beaten her. We had two prime suspects. Cecil Johnson, who was known to have been in her company when she left the bar. Johnson's record indicated that he was capable of committing the crime. On the other hand, the victim's husband had stated that he might kill her. He was unable to explain his movements at the time of the attack. 
The only person who could tell us the true story was the victim herself, and we had the doctor's statement that she might not remember the events immediately leading up to the beating. At 10.14 a.m. the following morning, the officer called from the hospital telling us that Mrs. Dillon had regained consciousness and could be questioned. The doctor told us that she was calling for her husband and asked that we bring Dillon with us. We went by the city jail and picked him up, and then we drove over to the hospital. The doctor told us that Mrs. Dillon was in a weak condition and that we couldn't talk to her at any length. Frank, Dillon, and I went into her room and waited for her to open her eyes. Is that you, Herman? Yes, dear. You're not mad at me, are you? You're not still mad at me? No, dear, I'm not. Alaska. I was afraid you still were mad. You know, Herman, you shouldn't have hit me like you did. I know maybe I had a reason, but you shouldn't have hit me. Can you tell us what happened, Mrs. Dillon? Who are you? Police officers. What are you doing here? Trying to find out who did this to you. Wasn't anybody did it. Ma'am? Wasn't anybody. I did it myself. Really did it all by myself. I don't believe I understand, Miss Dillon. Him and me had a fight and I walked out. I was going to leave him. I went down and had a few drinks, just a few. And I got to thinking about me and Herman. How I was such a bad wife. I got to thinking about the kids and how I was a bad mother. You aren't still mad at me, are you, Herman? Really in your heart? No, Grace, I'm glad you're going to be all right. That's all that counts. You want to tell us what happened, Miss Dillon, please? I was on my way home. I was going back. Cecil was walking home with me. It was raining pretty hard, and we came to a gutter that was full of water. I stepped up on the curb to go around, and I didn't want to step in the water, and I fell. Fell down the hill, rolled all the way to the bottom, all the way to the next street. I remember falling. I remember laying in the street down below and how I couldn't move. I didn't know about anything else after that. Until just when you got here, Len, I don't remember much of anything. You mean that you fell down yourself, that nobody beat you up, huh? No. Herman hit me when I was home. He got mad at me and hit me. But he was right. You were right, honey. Real right. First going to be different, I promise you. Just as long as you ain't still mad at me, that's all that matters, that you ain't mad. Now, take it easy, honey. Everything's going to be all right. Just take it easy and try to get some sleep. I love you, Herman. I love you very much. And I'm going to make it all up to you, all the bad times. I'm going to make it all up to you. I love you too, Grace. You go to sleep. Get some rest. All right, honey. All right, thank you, Miss Dillon. We better go. You going to want me anymore, Sergeant? No, I don't think so. I wonder if she means it. If she really does. What's that? About making it up to the kids, how things are going to be different. Well, I don't know. She said she would. That's just it. Hmm? She said it so many times before. The story you have just heard is true. The names were changed to protect the innocent. On November 18th, a meeting was held in the Captain's Office Homicide Division. In a moment, the results of that meeting. Now, here is our star, Jack Webb. Thank you, George Fenneman. Friends, we've been getting letters from people all over the country telling us that they've switched to Chesterfield. Now, just as I've been telling you, thousands of smokers are changing to Chesterfield because only Chesterfield gives proof of low nicotine, highest quality. That's why I recommend you try them today. Regular or king size, Chesterfields are really mild, really satisfying. Best for you. Since no crime had been committed, no legal action was taken against Mr. and Mrs. Dillon. 
Cecil August Johnson was removed to room 5, Georgia Street Receiving Hospital, for further psychiatric examination. You have just heard Dragnet, a series of authentic cases from official files. Technical advice comes from the office of Chief of Police W.H. Parker, Los Angeles Police Department. Technical advisors, Captain Jack Donahoe, Sergeant Marty Wynn, Sergeant Vance Brasher. Heard tonight were Ben Alexander, Jack Crucian, Vivi Janis, Harry Bartell. Script by John Robinson. Music by Walter Schumann. Hal Gibney speaking. Watch an entirely new Dragnet case history each week on your local NBC television station. Please check your newspapers for the day and time. Chesterfield has brought you Dragnet, transcribed from Los Angeles. Stay tuned for My Favorite Husband next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for Lucille Ball to star in My Favorite Husband. We present My Favorite Husband, a new series based on the delightful stories of Isabel Scott Rorick's gay and sophisticated Mr. and Mrs. Cougar, starring Lucille Ball with Richard Denning. <laughs> Ten years ago, Elizabeth Elliot decided to marry an eligible bachelor. So she picked handsome man-about-town George Cougar. Because, as Liz put it... George was the most eligible, eligible bachelor eligible. Well, since, <laughs> since their marriage, neither Liz nor George has said much about children. But then, children have never said much about them either. Now, that's because they don't have any. The children, I mean. In fact, the only time it ever came up was when they returned from their honeymoon and George was showing Liz around their new house. Wait a minute, George. What's this little bedroom here? Well, uh, I kind of thought it would look cute and pink and blue with nursery rhymes on the walls. But uh, we can fix it up temporarily as a maid's room. What do you mean, temporarily as a maid's room? Well, someday uh, we may want a couple of little ones. You mean a couple of little maids instead of one big one? <laughs> well, that was, as I say, ten years ago. So today, Mr. and Mrs. Cougat are still just two people who live together and like it. Lucille Ball is Liz, with Richard Denning as George in My Favorite Husband. It is morning at the Cougat house. Katie, the maid, has gone out to the mailbox to see if the postman left any ads or blotters. And Liz is cooking breakfast. And George is still upstairs dressing. Finally, Liz goes to the foot of the stairs and calls. George! Yes, darling? I've got your breakfast ready. The toast is burned just the way you like it. <laughs> okay, I'll be right down. Mr. Cougat. Yes, Katie? Uh, why does Mr. Cougat like burnt toast? I don't know. He developed a taste for it after we were married. <laughs> Good morning, Liz, darling. Morning, Katie. Morning, Mr. Cougat. George, aren't you going to kiss me this morning? On an empty stomach? <laughs> Certainly, give me a kiss I'm fresh out Oh, come on, George You must have an old kiss lying around somewhere Okay 
How's that? That wasn't just lying around. It was dead. (laughs) That had all the zip of the old George Cougat. Well, the old George Cougat better get a new zipper. (laughs) (laughs) What are you laughing about, Katie? (laughs) I was just thinking about my first husband, Clarence. Now, there was a kisser. Good. No, ugly. (laughs) Come on, George. Your breakfast is ready. Oh, so am I. Uh, where's the morning paper, Katie? George, are you going to bury yourself in that paper again this morning? Oh, I just want to look at the financial page and see how the stock market is doing. Oh, here it is, Mr. Kugat. Oh, thanks, Katie. Uh, let's see now. Amalgamated copper, fisk tires. Hmm, AT&T is down two points. I'd better get some. Hmm, TP&L is down one point. Well, I'd better get some. Hmm, SFO&P is down three points. I'd better get some. Hmm. Yeah, what's the matter? BVD is down two cents. You need some. This has been looking. You've been showing. Oh, here's an item about Jane Kendall. I have to get her something, George. She's expecting her baby. Yeah, baby. I don't want to have any of that last-minute rushing. Yeah, rushing. You know, having a baby must be pretty tough. Yeah, pretty tough. George, are you listening to me? Hmm? Oh, sure, Liz. Every word. What did I say? Say? Why, uh... Oh, you said those Russians are pretty tough babies. <laughs> didn't you? No, I didn't. Oh. Tough Russians are pretty babies? <laughs> Wrong again. Pretty Russian babies are tough? <laughs> Never mind. Yugoslav babies? <laughs> Never mind. If you weren't lost in that financial page, you'd hear what I said. Well, but Liz, in my business, it's important that I know what's happening in the stock market. I have to keep an eye on the bulls and the bears so that some wolf in sheep's clothing doesn't make me the goat. After all, I work in a bank. Sounds like the Chicago stockyards. (laughs) I don't see what's so wonderful about that financial page. It bores me stiff. I haven't the slightest interest in finances. Well, that's because you're not in business, darling. Say, uh, was there any mail this morning? Yes, ma'am. Is there any mail this morning? Yes, the morning mail. (laughs) That sounds reasonable. Hmm, Is that all? One letter? That's all, Mr. Cougat. But the people next door got a lot of mail this morning. Shall I go over and borrow some? (laughs) Don't bother, Katie. Open the letter, George. It's probably from someone who's on their vacation. All of our friends are out of town. Let's see now. Who do we know that went to the mountains or the seashore? It's from Barclay Brothers Department Store. Oh, it can't be. Why not? Well, who do we know that would spend their vacation at a department store? <laughs> Nobody. But we do know somebody who would run up a bill there last month of $250, don't we, Liz? Liz? Oh, what's new on the financial page, George? <laughs> Liz. Oh, come on, George. Tell me about the bears and the bulls again, George. <laughs> Will you, George? Liz, this is serious. You went over your allowance again, didn't you? Yes, George. Oh, Liz. What am I going to do with you? Raise my allowance? (laughs) I can't raise your allowance. I didn't get that mortgage deal with that real estate woman in Florida. Old man Atterbury must have found out about it because I didn't get that raise. Well, tell him you can't raise a wife and children on your salary. Well, but Liz, Mr. Atterbury knows we don't have any children. Well, then tell him we're expecting some on the next boat. (laughs) Boat from where? 
Wherever children come from. <laughs> Had a talk with your mother lately, Liz? <laughs> of course. What did she say? She gave me a book to read. You know, what was the name of it? How to Win Friends and Influence People. <laughs> well, that ought to do the trick. Liz, there's only one sensible thing for us to do. I knew you'd think of something, George. We've got to live within our means. Mm -hmm. Stick to our budget. Wonderful idea. It's not only sensible, it's impossible. <laughs> it's really very simple, Liz. How? Well, just don't charge things we don't need. Sounds simple, doesn't it? Of course. George, from now on, I promise I won't charge a thing we don't need. Good. I'll pay cash for it. <laughs> Why, Mrs. Cougat, I didn't know you could knit. Neither did I, Katie. How do you like it? Oh, it's adorable. Um, what is it? Baby booties. They're for Mrs. Kendall. Do you think they'll fit her? Katie, <laughs> Mrs. Kendall's going to have a baby. Oh, are you going to be there? No, she's just having the family and a few close doctors. <laughs> Mrs. Cougat, wouldn't it be easier for you to buy Mrs. Kendall some baby booties instead of getting all tangled up in that yarn? Yes, Katie, but I'm trying to help Mr. Cougat save some money. And baby booties cost $5 a pair. But how much did all this yarn cost? $10, but that's for five balls. But you won't need five balls of yarn to make one pair of baby booties. Well, I'm using the rest to make a sweater to match. To match the booty? No, a sweater to match the skirt I picked up for $29.95. <laughs> I think it's wonderful of you to help Mr. Cougat save that way. Well, the only trouble is I had to charge all this stuff, so I think it would be better if we just didn't say anything about it, Katie. I understand, Mrs. Cougat. He'll probably laugh when he finds out that I've learned to knit. Yes, but he'll stop when he finds out how much it costs. <laughs> oh, I better hide this knitting. Hey, anybody home? Oh, it's only Corey. Yes, mankind's gift to womankind. In the living room, Corey. Hi, Liz. It's Corey Cartwright, that gay dog. Throw him a bone, Katie. <laughs> oh, I'm not in the mood for jokes, Liz. I'll put your hat in the hall, Mr. Cartwright. What's the matter, Corey? I met the most beautiful girl at a beautiful party in a beautiful penthouse last night. Didn't you have fun? Yes, the beautiful girl and I spent a beautiful evening looking at the beautiful moon. Sounds beautiful. Not quite. Why? She had an ugly husband. What was his name? I don't know. He never did catch me. Corey, <laughs> what makes you so fickle? Well, I'm not fickle, Liz. I just can't make up my mind. Well, sooner or later, the right girl will come along, and then you'll settle down, and she'll be knitting these. Liz, am I seeing things? Are you knitting baby things? Yes, baby booty. Liz, you mean you? Why didn't you tell me? Well, I didn't know you'd be that interested. <laughs> interested? Of course I'm interested. Congratulations. Thanks. Why, I had no idea. Neither did I. <laughs> In fact, I was just telling Katie I didn't know I could do it myself. <laughs> of course you can, Liz. I think every married woman should. You do? <laughs> Certainly. What's marriage got to do with it? But good old George, he hasn't said a word about this, Liz. Well, good old George doesn't know about it. I'll bet George... I beg your pardon? George doesn't know about it, and don't you tell him. 
But why? Shouldn't he know? No, Mr. Atterbury didn't give him his raise, and this wasn't on our budget, so I had to charge it. <laughs> payments for everything these days. But really, Liz, don't you think you should tell him? No, he'd only worry about the budget. And besides, if George found out about this, he'd want me to take it back. <laughs> Yes, Cartwright. Well, I'm glad you did call me. <laughs> I had no idea Mrs. Kugat was expecting a bundle of joy. <laughs> no wonder he's been wanting a raise. Oh, yeah, sure, I agree with you. Yeah, I'll call him into my office right away. <laughs> Thanks for calling, Cartwright. Goodbye. <laughs> well, <laughs> so young Kugat's finally going to have an addition to the family. Eh? <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. <laughs> Miss Johnson, you come into my office. Mr. Kugat, Mr. Atterbury wants to see you right away Uh-oh, has he heard about the collapse of that Florida deal? Not that I know of, I didn't tell him Okay, I'll go right in I wonder who told the old man about my failure with that real estate woman I'll bet that's the reason he didn't give me a raise Well, after all, it might happen to anybody Oh, George! George, my boy, my boy, come in, come in. Sit down. Thanks. Uh, George, George, I want to have a talk with you. Shall we say, uh, father to son? Uh, well, is it uh, about the raise I didn't get? Uh, yes, yes, so no, that is... Uh, <laughs> George, George, I realize that you can't raise children on your salary. <laughs> of course, you don't have any children yet. <laughs> no, but we're expecting some on the next boat. <laughs> what? Oh, nothing. That's, that's just something Liz told me this morning. Uh, look, Mr. Atterbury, I, I know why you called me in here. Oh, you do? Uh, yes, and I just want to say that anybody can make a mistake. <laughs> a mistake? Yes, maybe I tried too hard. <laughs> now, my boy, you know, it isn't as easy as you think. <laughs> oh, then, then you're not angry? Angry? Oh, on the contrary, you've got my best wishes, my boy. Oh, thanks, <laughs> Mr. Hatterbury. You know, that woman had me worried for a while. <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> she, <laughs> she, she just didn't like the idea. Well, women are funny sometimes, you know? <laughs> Yeah, she, she wanted me to do the whole thing by myself. But, uh, I understood that you both wanted... Oh, I did. She didn't. Oh, really? And, and don't forget, we were a thousand miles from each other. A thousand miles? Sure, she was in Florida. Good heavens, now wait a minute. If she was in Florida, then oh, I... By telephone, see... Uh, the whole thing was arranged over the telephone. Well, that settles it, George, my boy. I'm not only going to give you that raise, I'm going to pay that telephone bill. Hello, George. Hi, Liz. Darling, you're looking at a new man, the brand new 1948 model George Cougar. How much did you get for the old one? Plenty. How about a kiss? Aren't you afraid you'll dent your fenders? <laughs> Come on, darling. How about a kiss for your hard-working husband? Nope, not in the mood. Since when? This morning. Mm -hmm. 
I'll bet I can make you kiss me. I'll bet you can. Okay. Well, don't let me convince you. <laughs> All right. Well, first I'll put my arms around you like this. Mm-hmm. Now you put your arms around me like that. Mm-hmm. Now tilt your chin up. Mm-hmm. There. Now, now when I say a word, you say the name of the first fruit you think of. Mm-hmm. Ready? Okay, but I won't kiss you. Candy. Orange. Baked. Apple. Stewed. Prune. Mm. <laughs> I win. You kissed me. But you tricked me. That was a dirty, mean, low-down, underhanded trick. Trick me again, George. Uh-uh. You might get to like it. George Cougat, there's only one word for a man like you. What is it? Coon. <laughs> okay, scatterbrain. There. Prune is a beautiful word, George. Oh, wonderful word, Prune. I love you. I love you too, Liz. Guess what happened at the office today? I don't know. Sit down and tell me all about it. Well, old man Atterbury called me in and... Hey, Liz, what's this? What's what? Well, it's uh, knitted stuff behind the chair. Knitted stuff, George? Yeah. Looks like, like baby shoes. Oh, that. Probably dust balls. <laughs> Liz, knitted dust balls? Oh, you may not know it, George, but we had the best-looking dust balls in town. <laughs> well, wait a minute. There's a whole lot of yarn down in here, too. Look, what, what is it, Liz? All right, Sherlock, you win. They're baby booties. Baby booties? Mm-hmm. Liz, you mean you? Didn't think I could do it, did you? <laughs> well, sure, but... But Liz, darling, this is wonderful. I thought it was pretty good myself. <laughs> well, gosh, honey, why didn't you tell me? I was afraid you'd be sore. I charged all that yarn to our account, and I went over our budget again. Oh, all this yarn to make one pair of baby booties? Hmm. Oh, what are you going to do with the rest of it? Why, uh, uh... Well, what, Liz? Well, uh, uh, make more baby booties. More? Mm-hmm. Oh, good night. How many will you need? Well, you never can tell, George. You might be triplets. Triplets? Mm-hmm. Holy cats. I, I told old man Atterbury we were expecting some on the next boat. I didn't know the fleet was in. Katie! Katie, come quick. Mr. Kugat's fainted. Well, what happened, Mrs. Kugat? I don't know. He said something about the fleet's in, then he sank. <laughs> Can you hear me? Oh. George, this is Liz. This is Liz. Oh. Glad to know you, Liz. I'm George. Oh, I oh. think he's coming too, Mrs. Cougar. Yeah, come on, George. Oh, where am I? You're in bed. Oh, good night, Liz. Come on, George. Sit up. Up, oh. Daisy. That's it. What happened? You fainted, Magnolia Blossom. Oh, yeah. Oh, but... But, Liz, you're the one that should be in bed, not me. Now, just stay where you are, George. You're as pale as a goat. How did I get up here? Katie and I carried you. She carried, Mr. Cougat. I dragged. (laughs) You put on a little weight since the last time we carried you upstairs. (laughs) Oh, Liz, you, you shouldn't be lifting anything heavy now, especially upstairs. Well, Katie helped. Who brought me in here? Katie and I. Who put me to bed? Katie and I. Liz. What's the matter? Who put on my pajamas? 
That brought the color back to his cheeks, Mrs. Cougar. Katie went downstairs, George. Oh. And I brought back this. Here, Mr. Cougar, take a sip of this brandy. It'll make you feel better. Are you sure that's brandy, Katie? Yes, ma'am. Remember the last time I fainted, you got hold of Mr. Cougar's bottle of Vitalis. My Vitalis? It went down all right, but I had to give my stomach a 60-second workout. <laughs> oh, don't worry, ma'am. This is brandy, all right. You're sure? Yes, ma'am. <laughs> Positive. <laughs> Oh, darn it, Corey. I haven't been able to do any work all day. Look at the stuff piled up on my desk. So Liz finally told you about the baby, huh, George? Well, not exactly, but when I found those baby booties, she could hardly deny it. But but she doesn't seem too interested. That's the way women are, George. You have to be very understanding at a time like this. Mm. Why don't you try to draw it out of her? Hint around. Maybe she'll confess. I, I tried that already. But she acted like she didn't even know what I was talking about. Why? What did you say to her? Oh, I told her I understood that women who are expecting a baby get peculiar desires for food. So Liz said what kind of food, and I said kiddingly, oh, like ice cream and melted cheese poured over and a dill pickle on the top. What did Liz say? Well, she just said, what's peculiar about that? <laughs> that sounds like something Liz would say. Mm-hmm. I think I'll call her and see how she feels. Go ahead. You've only called her about 30 times today. Uh, hello, Katie. Uh, how's Mrs. Cougat feeling, Katie? What? The hospital? What's the matter, George? Oh, Liz has gone to the hospital. Already? Hello, Katie. Uh, which hospital did she go to? Yeah. Yeah. To phone her there? Well, I'll do better than that. I'll go, I'll go over there. Goodbye, Katie. Now keep calm, George. Getting excited won't help him. Yeah, keep calm. You're right, Corey. Don't get excited. Where's my hospital? I mean, where's my hat? Oh, wait a minute, George. Keep calm. I'll go with you. Now, don't get excited. Okay, okay. I'm calm. I'm calm. Uh, let's go. All right, but you can't go that way. What way? With a telephone on your head. Oh. Thanks a million for coming to the hospital with me, Liz. It was wonderful of you. Well, you're welcome, Jane, honey. I'm only glad I could do something to help. You have. Norman was so worried. He's read so many stories in the paper about taxi drivers having to stop on the way to the hospital because the baby arrived ahead of time. I wonder if they leave the meter running when that happens. <laughs> oh, you make me feel good, Liz. When I probably should be feeling horrible. Do I, honey? I am. Um... I guess you're always a little anxious with the first one. Well, you haven't anything to worry about, Jane. You'll be all right. And when it's all over, you'll realize that this has been a very wonderful experience for you. Something you wouldn't take a million dollars for. Uh, you think you could stay with me, Liz? I mean... um... Until the baby arrives? Of course, honey. I wouldn't think of leaving. Thanks. Norman should be here pretty soon. What do you want, Jane? A boy or a girl? Well, I'd sort of like a little girl. How about Norman? Oh, he says he just wants a boy or a girl. Well, I hope he isn't disappointed. George, are you sure this is the right hospital? I don't know. Wait here, Corey. I'll ask that nurse at the desk. Uh, I beg your pardon, nurse. Yes? Do you have babies here? Yes. Um, This is the place, Corey. (laughs) Okay. Is there something I can do for you? Uh, no, thanks. My wife's doing it. Your wife? 
Mrs. Cougat, I'm Mr. Cougat. We have the same name. That's understandable. Is she here? Yes, she is, Mr. Cougat. But you can't see her now. She left a message for you. What is it? She said to tell you that she's decided to stay at the hospital until the baby arrives. Oh. Well, uh, will you give her a message for me? Certainly. Uh, just tell her I think that she's made a wise decision. George, don't you think you should go home and wait until you hear from Liz like the nurse told you? Oh, of course, Corey, but I have to get this stuff before I go home. Well, isn't it a little premature? Of course not. I want to be ready. But look at all the stuff you bought already. Electric trains, baseball bat, drum and bugle, football helmet, boxing gloves. Maybe I should get him a football, too. George, do you realize that a newborn infant can't even stand up, much less play football? Why don't you get it a, a rattle? A rattle? Oh, rattles are for kids. My son is going to play right tackle for Princeton. I hope he's in shape. They play their first game next week. <laughs> now, Corey, let's not be silly about this kid. No, let's not be that. Obviously, he can't play right tackle with Princeton next week. Oh, obviously. He doesn't know the signals. <laughs> George, now, suppose it isn't a boy. Suppose it's a girl. Girl? Oh, no, it can't be a girl. Liz wouldn't do that to me. Liz hasn't got anything to say about it. What do you mean, Liz hasn't got anything to say about it? She's its mother. Yeah, but how can Liz make the child be a boy or a girl? Well, she has to learn to discipline it sometime. Hello, Katie. Oh, Mrs. Cougat, did Mrs. Kendall have her baby? Yes, she did. Is Mr. Cougat home? Uh, yes, ma'am. He and Mr. Cartwright are in the study and acting mighty strange, if you ask me. Oh, really? I'll go in. Will dinner be ready soon? Yes, ma'am, in about a half hour. George! Oh, George! What in the name of... George! Look out, Corey. Here comes the Eastbound Express. Liz, darling. Hi, Liz. Liz, what are you doing home so soon? What do you mean soon? It's after seven. Oh. <laughs> yeah, but, but what about the baby? It was born an hour ago. An hour ago? Sure. But, but, but how'd you get out of the hospital? I walked out. How do you think? <laughs> oh, but, but didn't the doctor say anything to you? Yes, he said goodbye. Well, I knew medical science had made progress, but I didn't know it was anything like this. What about the baby, Liz? What is it? It's a boy. A boy? Oh, what did I tell you, Corey? Oh, Liz, who does he look like? He looks like Norman Kendall. <laughs> yeah, I knew it. Who? Norman Kendall. Who'd you expect him to look like? You? Well, as a matter of fact, I did. <laughs> well, after all, I am his father. <laughs> what? Now, listen. Excuse me, Mrs. Fugat. The hospital just phoned to tell you that it was twins. Twins? Oh, give me time. I just became the father of a boy. This one's a girl. Congratulations, George. Now you're a mother, too. <laughs> Uh, 
Oh, Liz, darling, why didn't you tell me Jane and Norman Kendall were expecting a baby? I told you the other morning at breakfast that you were too busy reading the financial page. Oh, uh, that reminds me. Where's the evening paper? I'm sitting on it. Sitting on it? Why? Because I want to tell you about Mitzi, and I don't want you to get me mixed up with Mitzi like you did with Jane. All right. What is it? Mrs. Jordan says Mitzi is expecting. Who's Mitzi? Her cocker spaniel. <laughs> Are you asleep? Not yet. Can I sit on the side of your bed? Sure. There. Isn't this cozy? Mm-hmm. George, your bed's higher than mine. Maybe it's because you're sitting on my stomach. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, darling. Is that better? Much. George? Yes, Liz? I'll bet I can make you kiss me. I'll bet you can't. All right. First, I put my arms around you. Mm-mm. But I won't bite on this. I taught it to you. Now, tilt your chin up like this. Now, ready? Yeah. I'm ready, but I won't bite. Candied orange. Mm-mm. Baked apple. Mm-mm. Stewed, uh, stewed... Oh, darn, what is that other word? Oh, you mean prune? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Liz, you tricked me. <laughs> Good night, George. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, we wrap up the week with Lights Out, followed by Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for A Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.